Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Jalen Davenport from Dominion Designs. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. I'm Marion Nulevant here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have Jason McAllister from Trader Interactive. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. And uh, we are here, or we have you here, and we are all here as well, to talk about Docker. So if you were out herding yaks somewhere <laughs> in the Amazon rainforest and someone came up to you, you know, one of the guides came up to you and said, hey, Jason, I heard a lot about this Docker thing. What is it? What would you tell them? So that would probably be a really difficult conversation. But um, what I would kind of start with is that Docker is a, a, a good way to manage your containers. And, and that starts a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what is a container? That's, you know, that's where I put my food, right? Um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> right. not really the case in, in, in this circumstance. So um, Docker is kind of like a really smart way to kind of deploy applications. Uh, instead of having, you know, your big typical virtual machine that has your RAM, your CPU and Apache, PHP, MySQL and whatever other requirements you have, uh, containers take that to a, a nano level, if you will, where they focus on just that one single process. So that right. running PHP or MySQL. So we did um, back in, it looks like June, we did uh, episode number 14 on a shootout at the local dev corral. And we covered just about everything, um, except we didn't cover Docker that extensively, except in the context of um, Nanobox using Docker. But let's let's give people kind of a um, an orientation on this. So I realize that Docker is used for more than just local dev, but let's let's kind of do it in that context where. Um, so if you're using something like uh, Laravel Valet or MAMP, you kind of have uh, this your own kind of custom thing that's running on your machine, right? Yes. And then if you're using something like Homestead, you have a virtual machine that is a complete separate, um, usually Linux server that is sitting uh, inside of your, or running inside of your machine. And where does Docker fit in uh, in between these kind of local dev environments? So Docker kind of, can replace those altogether or replace mm -hmm. just a few pieces of that. So um, like Valet is a really good example, which is unfortunately Mac only right now, right. but um, you know, Valet only handles the Nginx and the, the routing piece and running PHP, of course. So Valet doesn't really have anything to do with databases, right? If right. you look in their documentation, it says, well, you can run a database, you can brew install MySQL and you're good to go. Right. Um, but if anyone has ever actually done that, um, or even before, before brew is really bad, but if, if you've just done it with brew, even then it's kind of like, well, I've started it, you know, what do I do now? Right. Um, a good first step is kind of to get, you know, something like valet running and then spin up a MySQL container just to run the MySQL database and, and connect to it that way. So, mm. um, it's kind of like baby steps, right? If or if you need Redis, you can install Redis, but then Redis is running on your machine and then it's always going to be online or MySQL will always be online. But, you know, with laptops nowadays, you typically don't want your whole web stack running at the same time. So 
it's a good method to get introduced to Docker is to kind of, you know, run MySQL in a container and mm-hmm. then, you know, just use your Laravel valet install to keep working. That's, that's really interesting because one of my big objections to, uh, first of all, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of MAMP because you're using whatever custom things are installing. But one, one of the reasons why I don't use valet is I don't really love the idea of installing, you know, the, the, the appropriate version of PHP and MySQL and all these other packages directly onto my machine. So you're saying I can use valet, but I can use Docker containers for these services instead of installing them via brew. Yeah, absolutely. If you just wanted to install Docker for Mac or Docker for windows or, you know, native Docker, if you have, um, Ubuntu or something along those lines, mm-hmm. then you can run um, your built-in web server, say if you're on a Ubuntu machine and you just want to actually run Apache and PHP because you have it configured that way, but you don't want to install MySQL or, you know, what's really cool is if you're, you're like going to upgrade MySQL in production and you want to test it out kind of locally, right. then you just change your Docker run command or, or your Docker compose to have a, my, you know, 5.7, 5.8, um, they jump to eight Oh, which I don't know anything about that. Um, so you can actually test your local installation and your your application with different versions of MySQL without going through the whole installation process and removing and you didn't remove these files and you know like if we start talking about Node I'm gonna have nightmares but um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of like a, a small it's very very easy to swap out your infrastructure with code so uh, it. it it's really, that's kind of was my starting point was I was like, I really like this Docker thing, but it seems really confusing. And how do I get the web server going? And how do I get this going? And right. I was like, well, let's start with the thing that I hate the most. And it's like a database, right? Right. So um, yeah, you could definitely just choose any version or pull the latest and, you know, you can run that. And then when you're done, you, you know, Docker compose um, to stop it or, you know, you kill the Docker container and you're good to go. So that's really neat because I've seen uh, Jalen has written in some excellent articles on using Valet uh, with Craft 3 and then also with Craft 2. Um, but then I've also seen him fielding all of these, and he's been a champ about it, uh, fielding all of these support requests uh, for people who have um, you know, issues connecting to uh, the, the database in Valet or some kind of a server issue. And, and you're say, let's say that, I, for instance, I installed... Uh, you know, uh, MySQL 5.7 on my actual machine to use it with Valet. And then there's some kind of an in- incompatibility. You're saying that if I had done this a Docker way, I could just change the version and spin up the container again? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there would be, definitely be some upgrade process um, that you would have to take, you know, do a backup and then maybe reimport it. But, sure. um, you know, I can't remember which version of PHP or I'm sorry, MySQL, but there was an issue with, uh, it was the group by the group by yeah. yeah. So I think it that, was five seven. I think I think you're right. Um, and that was such a pain because we had an application and we ran it and we're like, all right, great, let's install this Laravel Forge server and let's get it going. And then we ran it and like, what in the world just happened? Um, so it, it having that ability to kind of like change one single character in a file would have helped us kind of identify that earlier and been like, whoa, 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 we can't actually deploy this, you know, to production because we have five, seven, we need five, six, and we need to make some changes. Um, 
So can we can we think of Docker containers? And it may not be entirely correct, but can we think of them as um, a mini VM that a specific service runs inside of? Um, yeah, there's. I think that made the most sense to me originally. Mm-hmm. Was okay. It's just a mini container, or I'm sorry, mini uh, VM that runs one thing, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit different. It's, it's more about the process, right? Like if you follow any kind of, you know, the solid principles or single responsibility of coding, then, Mm -hmm. um, your VM, when you're running your VM, it has to install, like it takes four gigs of Ram. Let's say you're using Laravel, uh, homestead and you have four gigs of Ram and two CPUs. And then you have Apache and MySQL and Postgres and Redis and, Beanstalk D and whatever else comes with it. I don't even remember. Um, all of those things are running, but they're consuming four gigs of your machine. Right. Just by default. Well, Docker, um, using a container, the image size, first of all, the, the VM machine is going to be probably gigs, right? At least like one and a half gigs for, for home set, I'm sure. pretty sure. And then, but when you do a when you do a Docker pull, because you're gonna pull down MySQL just just to run MySQL in a container, you're talking about 200 megs. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at things like Alpine, uh, Alpine Linux is like a very, very small Linux distribution that's made for containers. I think its base size starts at three megabytes. Um, and you can run, you can install whatever you need to in, in that container and then have a much smaller image. I think the one we have for our internal playbook is actually a ViewPress application. Um, but it's, it's a, um, it's an Alpine Docker container and it's about eight megs. So the deployment and pulling that down is super, super efficient. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that each Docker container is a effectively a Linux instance? Is that what you're saying? It's a, it's a, it's a very fine tuned Linux instance. Um, Mm -hmm. you can look at it as, you know, if, it's running something in the foreground. Like if it's MySQL, then it's running MySQL. It's not running the web server. It's not running anything else. The The Docker file that the uh, maintainer has written will just say the entry point is to run the MySQL command. It'll run in the foreground. It's that way the logs get output to the screen. Um, so it's a little bit of less focus on running the other things that MySQL might need or your web stack might need to be more specific right. and more about like, hey, I just want to run MySQL. I don't care about anything else. Hmm. So you can almost think about it like the way that if you're in Composer and you're saying, I need this library, that library will pull along just what it needs in order to do what you've asked of it. Um, Absolutely. You know, it'll only pull out you know part of Symfony and those components rather than the whole behemoth. This will pull out just the parts of Linux that it needs to accomplish everything MySQL needs or everything PHP needs or, or whatever it is that core component that you're calling on. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way to look at it is, is kind of like composer. That's a perfect example. That's cool. And how do, how do, I mean, yeah, I think I've always thought of it almost, it's like a VM, but smaller and tidier and maybe more portable. Um, I've never thought of it as, uh, you know, the ability to move around really distinct services um, as almost elemental as PHP or a database. How do how do they then talk to each other? What's the the plumbing that allows, you know? And you said you could use it with, uh, you know, some other way of, of standing up your server on your local and just kind of swap out Docker containers for PHP. How how you know? Typically today you have to put in your port, your username, your password, and I just count on my my Mac to magically 
route everything together through paths and all that. Um, does Docker, you know, expose a port and just kind of manage the in out of each Docker container or how do they talk to each other? So one of the, in the Docker file, like this, let's say Nginx, right? Nginx is a good example. They just expose port 80 in their Docker mm-hmm. file. So then you can uh, map traffic from your machine to that specific port, to that specific container. But what, um, but when you run that command, when you do Docker run and you run that single container for Nginx, Mm-hmm. If you don't specify the port, it won't get exposed. Ah, okay. So, so Docker handles all the the networking by itself, right? So, um, you can specify. I need a um, there, what's the famous is an app net or the voting net, um, the network that it should run inside of. Um, or by default, it goes to its own bridge. I think bridge is the right um, term for that. But it goes to the default one. That way, it's kind of exposed to the same piece on your machine. Um, but what's really neat about Docker is since you're inside that container and you're inside their network, you can actually run multiple versions of MySQL and just not expose those ports to you. So you can't really, you know, open up SQL Pro and connect to it, mm-hmm. but you can essentially when you're inside, let's say you're running PHP inside that network, you can ping um, and connect to MySQL by the service name. So if you have it MySQL dash server or MySQL DB inside that container network, the DNS that Docker creates will let you kind of talk amongst each other without having to configure, you know, your host file or anything like that. So in the, in the case of a, uh, of Nginx in a container, um, when I started up or in the, the YAML file or whatever, I specify the port that I want it to run off of. Yes. And so then I just open up my browser and do localhost colon that port number and away we go. Yeah, so what you'll do is you, if you know that the Nginx runs on port 80 and you want to map your port 8000, you, you'll you pass a flag uh, from Docker run via dash P and port 8000 colon 80, which says take my physical machine's port and network and route any request on port 8000 to this specific container mm-hmm. and on port 80. Now, how can we do that by a domain name basis? So for instance, if I use, you know, I don't know, devmode.test. Is there a way that that can be routed to the uh, the container? Yeah, you can. Um, what we like to do is we set up a proxy at work. We just take a, like the vanilla Nginx um, container or image, and then we run that as a container, and we put our own configs. So api.local goes to um, localhost. But... Like we talked about with MySQL, you know, if you have multiple applications, we have an API and a front end and Mongo and MySQL. We have all these services that we need to run locally. They can all talk to each other, but we test like our Mongo upgrades by running more than one version of Mongo, which is a different service name. Mm. Um, the same thing, you could just run it on a different port and have your your proxy just say, you know, port 5000 goes to port 80 here. Um, but when you start exposing those, you will have some port collision, if that makes sense. Well, and and probably we could do it. Uh, a lot of people who are using the, the Mac are familiar with editing their Etsy hosts, right? And you probably could just do the mapping there, couldn't you? Well, that will only take the domain name to an IP address. Uh, it doesn't really do right. the port. Uh, oh, I thought it would do ports as well. Huh. I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure. I've never used it for ports, but... That would be interesting yeah. if you could. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. But you're saying, okay, so you're saying that if we want to do this mapping, 
we have to have something in between that will will handle that. And that's where the Docker network comes into play. That'll handle all the orchestration and, and getting everything. And the Docker Compose file is probably the best bet there because mm-hmm. there's hardly a, any time that you're going to want to run a single container by itself, right? Right. You're always going to want to have MySQL, a database, a caching layer, a background queue, um, you know, or... or um, one of the things I've been trying to play with recently uh, yesterday was getting Laravel Horizon to work in a Docker container. Mm-hmm. Um, since it wants to spin up multiple processes, um, I haven't really solved that yet, but it's the same kind of concept, right? Like this container would do its one thing and then I'd have a queue and then I'd have the queue worker, I'm sorry. And then I would have, you know, the PHP FBM process and I'd have Nginx. So it's kind of a... Um, that's where I'm looking here for. It's kind of like a, a way to, to, to set everything together. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the, I've long looked at Docker from the point of view of, I love the concepts behind this. Like this sounds really, really neat that I can just containerize these things. And I, I didn't even think of the idea of using valet, but instead of using, um, uh, homebrew, to install the packages I want, I could just use Docker to spin those things up, right? Because that, that'll be the pain with something like um, Valet will come when, you know, someone decides to upgrade their operating system to Mojave or whatever the, the next thing is, uh, and it destroys their, uh, their kind of local install, their local setup. Um, and it sounds like this would mitigate it because now instead of actually installing this stuff on the actual machine, we just have a YAML file that that spins these things up in containers, right? Absolutely. So we have a um, we have a mix of operating systems on the team. A lot, like half mm-hmm. the team uses Ubuntu. They run, yep. you know, Dell XPS 13s. They hardcore Linux people love their Linux. Not for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the server, it's great, but I've always found like peripheral issues running uh, Ubuntu uh, sure. images. So. But then we also have Windows. We have only a handful of people who want to run Windows. Um, and then we also have Mac. So mm-hmm. looking at Valet, you know, you get a, a bunch of great things. You get HTTPS, you get, you know, automatic linking and un- unlinking of sites. Um, you know, it's just really, really simple. But not everyone, you know, has a Mac, right? So, right. Um, so having a team, you know, like you brought up Mojave is coming out. Um, Docker works great on Mojave. I've already tried it, you know, so there's no concern that when I upgrade uh, the team to Mojave, then nothing's going to work and we're going to lose right. three days of, of productivity because, you know, that's, it's all broken. But at the same time, you know, we're also ha- having some Docker issues. So it, it's kind of a, it's supposed to make things easier. Sometimes it makes things a little difficult. Sometimes we get a lot of permissions error with mapping volumes between Ubuntu machines and um, you know, Mac machines. So it's not without its, you know, issues, if you will. I mean, any, any technology, right? I mean, everything looks shiny and awesome. And then you realize that, well, you know, while this is overall improved my life, it has brought in, you know, a new set of issues that I then have to deal with. Um, and, and we've encountered that, right? Uh, Jonathan, we, uh, primarily have been using Docker on, uh, some joint projects for, uh, the actual deployment process. And one of the issues that we ran into was the, the critical CSS. Yeah. So this um, was a nightmare. I mean, we, we basically <laughs> ran into an issue. It was very, very, 
strange issue where uh, Google's uh, puppeteer um, ran into an error because uh, Docker had a problem with memory limits or something like that when trying to generate critical CSS. And I guess we ended up solving it by just not using puppeteer. I can't even remember how we solved it, but yeah, very strange issue there. So I, I know I know the way I, I solved it. I think it you know. <laughs> it, it, it sucked. But I mean, the, the long and the short of it is, you know, we, we did what any good uh, developer does is we did tons of Googling, right, to try and figure out what was going on. And we ended up at this one issue page where it said, it said, getting headless Chrome working inside of Docker is very tricky. And I think and I that was, that was in Google's own repo for puppeteer. Yeah, right. And I just was like, Oh God, yeah. like if, they, if the guys from Google are telling me that this is going to be tricky, like I'm just going to give up. But I mean, that, that's an instance of, you know, not everything is dreamland, right? I mean, uh, there, you are still going to have potentially issues whenever you adopt anything new, but we look at it from the point of view of, you know, overall, are there some really big gains for adopting this? Um, so Jonathan, the, the way we ended up solving that was I actually, I forked the, uh, the, the Webpack critical CSS plugin and I revised it to use a um, a version of Penthouse oh, that's right. that, that yeah. didn't rely on headless Chrome and instead uh, relied on Phantom JS. That's right. Yeah. And, but we had to go through that pain just to get critical CSS building on our Docker container in production. And uh, uh, that was not fun, Jason. <laughs> I, I does not sound fun at all. But yeah. <clears throat> that brings up a good point. I think that um, a lot of developers, I'm guilty of this myself. Um, we like to just get started, right? Like yep. it's it's my way or the highway. Let's talk about repositories, right? Everything mm-hmm. is a repository. Or, you know, I don't even want to get into that conversation. But you know, we take things to extreme. We like to just code and get started. Um, but the problem with with Docker is if you try to get started, there's so much you have to kind of you know take into consideration and mm-hmm. think about that. If you just dive right into it, you're going to be like, this is this sucks. Like this is the worst thing ever. Um, Who invented this right. thing? <laughs> but you know, it's why it's it's better to take it slow and you know start with just just working locally. And you know, if you know that you have a Laravel application and it runs in the cloud, it uses you know seventeen queues and Redis, and you know, build a Docker Compose that will kind of mimic that environment and just don't do anything with production or your deployment or your staging, just get it working locally. And, you know, it's, it kind of mimics having like a production environment. Like we run queues out, out the wazoo, you know, but we can run them locally too. So we don't have to do PHP artisan queue, you know, or PHP artisan horizon. So uh, it's just starting in those small steps, like the database and then the web server. Yeah. And I love your idea of, uh, and Jalen, I want to hear what you think about it. Like instead of using homebrew to install all this stuff locally, you can just spin up Docker containers for the, for the DB. What do you think? I think it definitely sounds interesting. Um, one of the things I was going to ask Jason, um, a lot of people, you know, want to run different PHP versions, uh, with their different, uh, websites and whatnot. Cause obviously, uh, Craft 2 won't run on some of the newer versions of PHP. Um, but is there a way uh, with the Docker containers to run um, separate PHP versions per project? Oh, yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, there's definitely um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. So um, 
things like craft don't um, really have good testing. And I say that because I'm really spoiled with Laravel. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I haven't checked craft three in a while, but um, Laravel makes it really, really easy to run your tests. So if you follow something like TDD, then you can, you know, be rest assured that when you run your test, you're probably going to catch most of that. Um, so what, what a good step would be if you're running something like Laravel is you can define a build process that goes through PHP 7, 7, 1, 7, 2, and runs like PHP unit. And you can kind of get a good indicator of, you know, this is definitely going to break on PHP 7.2. Um, how do we go um, about fixing this? So well, I, th- I think I think what Jalen means is he knows, for instance, that this version of craft will not work with this version of PHP. Can he explicitly just make a container for the old version of craft that has a different PHP from the container for a new version? Yes. Yeah, so- right. Okay. Yeah, because like right now... Um, if you want to switch, like, let's say you're moving from a craft two project to a craft three project, or maybe you're even running like an old EE website or WordPress website. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but uh, let's say you have one and, you know, you can't run this on PHP seven. So you have to download um, via brew, you know, PHP 5.6. Then you have to go through all the trouble of like stopping PHP seven, unlinking it, then linking PHP five, uh, I did write a helpful little uh, script to do it for you, but it's just still a lot of work. But if you could like have, you know, a Docker container per project that would be running the PHP you need, that would be really awesome. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So what you could do is is assign, um, basically create a Docker file in that project. And you can say this is from PHP 7 or 5.6 or 5.5 or um, whatever version you need and kind of use their core version to get that running so you don't have to go through that because i i honestly lost you after the brew unlink because i have gone through that so many times that i tried (laughs) kind of space out when we you know start to go through that because i remember the was it the first time when they they actually switched all their um their casks or whatever they call it over and um all the documentation you found online was out of date yep yep I can't tell you how many people I had to help with through that process. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, Jalen. I think this is this is kind of exactly what um, Docker can help you do. Is that you can just have, as he was saying, you can have a Docker file that says, uh, "I want this version of this, and these are the containers I want." And you do Docker compose, and they're running, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So now, when people yeah. come to you, Jalen, you can say, "Just use Docker." Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you gotta you gotta get it working yourself uh, first, though. Uh, Marion, do you, you have any thoughts on uh, on Docker at all in terms of or any questions that you want to jump in there and ask uh, Jason? Well, I'm I've tried to play with it and mm-hmm. uh, kind of got it has to, a cute little whale icon. It has a cute little whale icon, and yeah. I and I but I haven't been able to make the leap from you know doing a couple of cute little things from the, from the getting started with Docker documentation to actually using it. So I've, my, um, story in, uh, there's our clock going. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Andrew's going to ask me a question. You can't call on Marion on the 15s. Yeah. (laughs) It's my fault. It's my fault. Anyway. So like I started off with, with this craft development, I went, went, Oh, okay. You know, I have a Mac and I'm going to, I'm going to get it to run Apache and MySQL and so on and all of that stuff. And that, that kind of worked in a, 
fragile way for a little while. And then, you know, something changed and it all broke. And nice. I, I looked at MAMP, but I was cheap and I wasn't willing to pay for MAMP Pro. And I had, you know, more than one thing I wanted to run. And I've ended up with Homestead. And I think I have like an early version of Homestead that is kind of limping along for me. And I don't dare change anything. Um, so it would be really nice to have something that not necessarily works out of the box, but that I can make a box that it works out of. And Docker sounds very appealing, but I want to be able to, you know, switch between, you know, six or eight different craft installs or have, it, have them all sort of up at once. Um. Yeah, I, I think, Marion, that they will kind of do what you want. And so the dream scenario is that every one of your craft projects has got a Docker file in there. Uh-huh. And when you when you switch to work on one, you, you'll you do your Docker Compose and everything will start running. And so is this everything Docker file a, That's the, a YAML file? It's its, own, it's its own unique file. But the Docker Compose file kind of um, – so if you take like the – if you want to do Docker run hello world, right? I think is their um, their default when you first get started. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It will that's running one container, right? Um, based off their hello world image. Right. So what you would do is instead of running Docker run Apache, Docker run PHP, Docker run MySQL, your Docker compose um, can listen and say, okay, well, you know, you just said Docker compose up. I'm going to look at all these services I have in the Docker compose YAML file. And I'm going to start Redis and MySQL, and I'm going to keep them running, right? As long as they're they don't exit. Yeah, I was referring it to it wrong. What I meant to say was the Docker Compose file, because the Docker file is what defines the container itself, right, Jason? Well, it defines the image, right? So the image, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the image is like PHP uh, Apache, right? So PHP is a standard library um, namespace, if you will, for Docker. So there's all different variants. There's, you know, 7-2 Apache uh, stretch. And, you know, I think they have an Alpine. Um, maybe they don't. Um, but then there's also PHP 7.2 CLI. There's PHP um, 7.1 and 7.0 and so on and so forth. So they publish those. And what your Docker file, and each one of those will get a, a Docker file. And hopefully they have like an automated build process, which I'm sure they do, um, where so those they make are, a change. those are not quite binary files or they're they're plain they're text they're text and somebody yeah. else writes them typically for us beginnery people we wouldn't be writing docker files we would be finding docker files that somebody else has written and and uh yeah kind of like a composer package like patrick like patrick was saying earlier kind of like a composer package you know absolutely i need i need x thing yeah, so your your Docker file can say from, right? Because you can do from scratch, which nobody really needs to do. Um, <laughs> but you can do from PHP 7.2 Apache, and you will inherit in your Docker file when you run that, everything that is in that specific image. So ah, what and that's they a, expose. And that's a well-defined thing. I, I can say from PHP 7.2 Apache and, and Docker, the little blue whale, knows what that means. I don't have to Absolutely. define it. Okay. You don't have to do that work. And that's kind of where the, the extending images is kind of really useful is, um, you know, when you choose, this is my stack, I'm prefer NGINX. A lot of people like Apache. Um, when you're, when you're pulling down 
you're going to define, let's say you need um, PNCTL, which is a PHP piece to run Horizon, um, or you need, you know, the Postgres driver for or extension for PHP. So you can say, I want to take from P, uh, the standard PHP image and I want to get 7.2 and I want the Apache version. And then you can say, okay, but after I do this, I want to run these commands to install these extra extensions I need. I need um, mm-hmm. MB string was the big one for craft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you do is each time you define a run that becomes like a layer and a cake. So when PHP updates their 7.2 to the latest version, they push, they push out a patch, um, then you can you know, pull down their latest one and then rebuild your image and you're already up to date. So it's kind of like a chain. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like calling Composer Update to update all of the, the packages that you have. Um, and this is where the, the Compose part of it comes in, right, uh, Jason? Um, where all of these, let's say that we need uh, Nginx and it requires a number of things to run. And we're also requiring PHP. Um, it then kind of composes what all of these things need together. Is that how it works, kind of? Yeah, it, and using the composer reference for you know the PHP composer is really good because you know you want to run Laravel five seven and mm-hmm. you want to run um, you need to have this PHP extension installed and, and you define those dependencies in your composer.json, But the Docker compose does the same thing, but instead of code dependencies, it's your service dependencies. Neat, neat. I mean, I, I really, I love the idea of this, but I, whenever I look at a new technology that I might be interested in adopting, I try to look at it from the point of view of not, you know, do I think this is neat, um, but what are the real kind of benefits that I'm going to be getting out of it? And so far, what I've heard from you are, uh, or the benefits that I'm taking away from what I've heard is that, first of all, we can specify exactly what a particular project needs. Right. So like uh, Jalen was saying, if I want a specific version of PHP for this project, I can easily do that, which is great. Um, And another benefit, at least to me, is that it is not um, locally installing these things on my computer. So if everything goes to hell, all I do is, you know, spin up uh, a a new composer package or sorry, (laughs) a new Docker container. And, and away we go, right? Like if it doesn't work with this version, I change the version, I spin it up and away we go. I'm not uninstalling and reinstalling and reconfiguring things, which sounds fantastic to me. But one of the, one of the other... Hard drive sorry? with filling up your hard drive with, with ancient, weird, broken, unworking stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, then things can just completely break. And then you're mortified to up, upgrade to a new version because... You know, who knows what's going to break or you get a new computer and the process of getting it set up is horrible because you have to reinstall all of this stuff. You know, I mean, it just sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- one of the other big benefits, at least, um, well, a- another benefit is working in teams, as you mentioned, Jason, where no matter what operating system they're running on, doesn't really matter. They can all use the same stuff. Right. So, I mean, that that sounds really nice um, when you're working with teams of people. But one of the other big benefits, at least in my mind, has always been that we can use the same thing throughout our whole pipeline. We can use it in development, we can use it in staging, and we can use it in in production. Is that something that you do? 
Yeah. So what's, what's really neat about Docker is that you are treating your servers as like throwaway stuff. Your, your, you know, your containers and the, you just need right. somewhere to run those containers. So mm-hmm. your infrastructure becomes code, right? Cause we're talking about setting up, you know, all these different operating systems and who's got what, and, you know, I've, I've spent some time, um, setting up, um, someone's a local MAMP, uh, and, and configuration, <laughs> okay. um, I'm sorry for hours. And as it's actually Lindsay DeLoretto, but I'm not saying any names. Um, I'm sorry, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I don't mind helping, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a pain. It absolutely is a pain. So um, when we've, we've gone through that process of getting started locally and we've kind Mm -hmm. of getting our familiarity with, you know, what is Docker and how's it work and what's Docker compose. Well, then we can start, the next step we usually like to take is to, to let's put that in our CI CD pipeline. If you have PHP unit or, you know, your tests that you have to run. Um, so you can kind of build that next step, right? If you use Jenkins or if you want to use something like um, Circle CI, I think Circle CI does Docker now. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you can integrate that in your tests. And what's really neat is that Docker Compose lets you define kind of your core services. So when you're running your test, you run your tests inside that Docker container, right? And hmm. then you don't have to expose that stuff. So imagine you have one uh, like Jenkins, one Jenkins server that runs your tests. And your tests have, you know, Mongo and MySQL and Apache. But to run those tests, they just can need to run inside that container. You don't have to expose those ports in CI CD. So you can run 50 at a time as much as your server can handle. So hmm. When you talk about, you know, going from local to CI, um, CD, you're getting a little bit of those benefits where, you know, what if, you know, you don't have to update Jenkins to, to, to run the latest PHP version, the the latest node version. I don't even want to talk about that. We've had so many Jenkins jobs break (laughs) because someone decided to upgrade node and didn't tell anybody. And then boom, yeah, goes the dynamite. Nothing, nothing is working. I don't know why. It's because we're on node four instead of node eight or ten or uh. whatever number they're on. Um, so that's like the next step is kind of getting that into you know the pipeline for building and deploying. Um, but that brings in, I think, some some interesting questions as well. Isn't the whole purpose of you know Docker to have the exact same thing locally as in production? And, right. you know, with PHP, especially PHP unit, we need X debug. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we go back to that whole, you know, extending images. The images for PHP 7.2 are already defined. You pull that down. I always have to have like a development folder, which just extends from that base image that I create for the project. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. And that only, yeah. only thing that it does is it says from whatever my container name is and you know my image name is i'm sorry uh and it says install xdebug right so we we could then use the same image in development uh if we've got a ci build stage and then on our staging server and our production server but we could then extend it for development and and testing uh, uh deployment to add whatever things we needed in specific to that environment is what you're saying absolutely and Docker has a, a newer thing. Um, I'm not sure which version it came out in, but it has multi-stage builds. Um, mm-hmm. And this is really, really good for web development because if you have 
your node dependencies, your composer dependencies, your PHP unit, um, you know, those are artifacts. You don't actually want to run those. You want to kind of treat those as, as one time, uh, you know, throwaway containers right. that do tasks. Well, when you, you, there's a, a Laravel news article, I think it was Paul Redman who, who published it, talked about how to use that with a Laravel project. And he defines three stages um, in one Docker file where the first one, it kind of goes through, gets the composer packages and the, the composer JSON composer lock installs those in a container and different run commands. And mm-hmm. then he does a node one and installs node and does the build process for production. And then he does the PHP, um, Apache one and can basically put his entire stack in a repeatable build process. But what's really neat about that is the way he has in his tutorial, he has it kind of set up where you can have um, those cache. So how often are you updating Composer? You know, not that often. So when Docker's running through that build process, oh, it's the exact same commands I got last time. So I don't actually need to do anything. Let's use the cache. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's something that Buddy does for you, which is really neat in the deployment process is it will do that. It will it will spin up the Docker containers and will cache them so that you're not, God forbid, reinstalling Node and all the <laughs> Node modules on every deployment. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, that. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think um, I think another good. Obviously, once we talk about CI CD, we're going to look at, you know, production. Right. And this is where yep. it gets really, really tricky. And that's why I can't stress, like, just take it slow. Do something simple. You know, if you have, like, a personal blog, um, you know, just do that. I wouldn't put it on. I don't, I don't want to take it slow, man. I want it all now. All right. Well, let's do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, there's so many choices in, um, when it comes to actually getting into production because, if you use AWS or if you use Heroku um, or DigitalOcean or Google Cloud, um, or you want to self-host it, right? That's that's a very different conversation. And how you kind of go about getting that done is really depends on what your application stack looks like. We use a lot of AWS, and I can't tell you how frustrating it is to use anything in Amazon Web Services. Um, <laughs> you can tell yeah, me because I feel your yeah, pain. We, I've been there. It's painful. I, <laughs> I think the only thing worse is probably you know Google Cloud or App Engine, whatever they call it. Um, I can never find. I, I got a I got a bill, a pretty expensive bill, because I tried something out. And <laughs> apparently, I left it running for a month. And like, what is what is this charge? I don't have anything in Google Cloud. And I looked and like, oh yeah, you've been running a Postgres you know, service for a month. And I was like, oh, great. Congratulations. Yeah, doing nothing. <laughs> um, so it, it's really like if you're familiar with, I, I love Heroku, which really is a wrapper around um, AWS, but Heroku makes it super simple because there's never a time where I want to go manually do something to a server, right? I did server admin for a very long time, hated life. <laughs> right. Like setting up the servers was fun and getting it started. But, you know, the, it was like, oh, well, this PHP doesn't work because, you know, I'm talking about like PHP 5.4 was like brand new. Right. Um, right. And, you know, I got this version of Python and the script doesn't work anymore. And, you know, it's not performing right. No, it's really like troubleshooting. I don't want to troubleshoot. If I can reproduce that as a, as a Docker file and I can just yep. delete that server and start over, my life is happy. 
So I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I have long had the view that we should view both our local development and, and the servers that everything runs on as completely disposable, yeah. you know, and, and, and set everything up from, uh, from that point of view. But let me, let me run you through kind of a real world scenario. So what we do currently, um, so I'm, I use Homestead for local dev. Um, and then we have a build process with Buddy that um, spins up a Docker container, does the build, and deploys it to a Forge server, right? So let's say that we adopt Docker um, for our local development. We get the, the nice benefits of, of using it there. We can pick the version that we want and have a, a per project uh, set up. Um, and we're already good to go with Buddy because it can use our our Docker compose file and it can, it can leverage that. But in production on a forge server, how do we then get it running our containers there and the public Nginx server and everything mapped and and working in that environment? In that environment, um, it's not that you can't do it. It's that you more shouldn't. Um, because forge is made to, you know, it's like, it's like valet. It's like homestead. Yep. It's a provision. Yeah. yeah. You just throw your stuff up there. Good to go. Um, what you, what you need is something that can kind of do like an orchestration um, of your containers and your services. Um, and, you know, Docker has some tools for that, like Docker Swarm uh, and Kubernetes. But um, mm-hmm. Kubernetes is kind of a beast, right? We'll go back to the whole taking it slow. If you just oh, stepped yes. into <laughs> like building containers and trying to get it working and then you're like, okay, Day, five minutes in, let's go to Kubernetes. You're going to do the same thing. You're going to quit. You're like, this is, <laughs> this is too much. Like, well, it's like getting off your couch and saying, I'm going to run a marathon today. Yeah, cube cuddle. And, you know, like, why, why can't I automatically deploy this stuff? Why do I have to go on a server and run these cube, cubelet commands or whatever they call them? Um, I should be more familiar with Kubernetes. But uh, anyways, it's, um, it's kind of like, you have to choose like a different infrastructure. You can't just bake it into Forge because you're just going to spend more time working around, you know, that the fact that they want to keep, you know, port 80 running and 443 and et cetera. So, um, I mean, I guess where I'm coming from this is that I've long had the the belief and it's, it's a belief, right? It's not necessarily uh, grounded in fact. It's, it's just grounded in my understanding of these things. But my, my longstanding belief has been that one of the big gains from using Docker is that if, if I'm using it in local dev and if I'm using it for my testing, I really want to be using it in my production environment because that is where, you know, I mean, part of the big gain in theory is that everything is running in the same environment. So there won't be surprises. So if I can't use Forge, what, what do you recommend that I use for deploying this stuff into production? As much as I don't like um, Amazon web services, it's kind of mm-hmm. really powerful. Um, and there's definitely a, a shift in kind of, you know, what people are using to deploy Docker. Um, you could definitely go through your own, um, you know, server and just follow like DigitalOcean and just spin one up and kind of manually build the process. Uh, Buddy would probably be pretty good at that. Um, logging your server and, and Buddy would tag your when it runs and your your test pass and everything's good to go. It could tag that image as latest, and then your Docker side, whatever side that is, would pull it down. So it's really hard to say that there's a specific one that you could choose. Um, but essentially, what would happen is 
once your CI CD part is completed, you tag that image as it is right then and there as your, you know, um, good to go, good to go. Your colon, your, uh, namespace application colon latest or, mm-hmm. you know, master or production or whatever you decide. Um, a lot of people do the production, um, tag. So it is production because it defaults to latest, which is kind of like your develop branch. Um, so then your infrastructure would say, okay, um, there was a build, trigger this thing, pull this down and replace all these pieces out. E- ECS from AWS um, is very confusing. It uses a lot of terms that are not Docker specific. So when you look at it, I'm like, mm-hmm. what's a task definition? And w- like, why am I defining the service in this cluster? And um, it's not to say that it's not a good solution, but it's just very different from... Um, you know, DigitalOcean makes things very simple. I'm really spoiled by that. But moving in AWS is like, whoa, what is all this stuff? Um, so I would say that if you are going to do this in production, it's best to kind of gear towards Kubernetes. Um, and that well, tell me, am I am I wrong in my belief? Like, are there benefits to using Docker uh, and and not worrying about production and saying, okay, you know what? Production is still going to be this forge managed server. I mean, is it, is, would I still get benefits by, from using Docker? You would still get benefits. Um, your local dev, especially if you're on a team, um, not in production specifically with forge, but your local development is a cinch to set up because new team member comes on, they run two commands, they have their entire stack like they would in production ready to go. There's no surprises. Um, your CI CD pipe can be faster and more efficient, um, because you're using caching and you're just pulling Docker containers to throw them away when you're done, um, less maintenance. Right. And then when you get into production, your CI CD piece becomes very crucial, right? Um, you'd want to automatically kind of load balance your application. So your belief is not wrong. It's just, um, it really depends on what, what provider you go with, right? Cause some make it really easy. Some make it really difficult. Um, but like, that's why Heroku is still one of the best platforms because it is so simple and everything's based on code. Does that kind of make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. And I've used for Heroku for a couple of projects. One of the things that I disliked about Heroku, um, was their ephemeral file system, which doesn't play particularly nice with, uh, certain things that the craft wants to do. Um, in terms of the the cache files and uh, some other things that are stored on there, um, so I mean, I guess what you're saying is that for the production end of things, because I, I'm if I'm going to make the change over to Docker, at least in in my mindset, and I'm ready to be convinced that I'm wrong, but I'm thinking about well, I, I really want this to be end to end, and you're saying that if I want that maybe it makes the most sense to change the production end to be Heroku or something else. Absolutely. And and that's a, that's a good point to, to kind of bring up is when you start to treat your containers as throwaway things that are reproducible, um, you know, that's where things like forge and server pilot um, don't really come into play. Right. And that's why it's such a hard question to really answer is, well, what's Mm -hmm. the best provider? Um, you know, if you're going to have all of your client sites in Docker and you're going to build the Docker thing of like the future, right? And your entire mm-hmm. company is hosted in Docker containers, 
well, there's a, a level of setup that's going to be required. You know, how do you route to specific ports and how do you do service discovery and how does it connect right. to my SQL? But with even like with Heroku, it has ephemeral file storage, but so does Docker, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's why you have to kind of follow the 12 factor app uh, mentality is everything is a configuration file, an environment variable, and can be thrown away. So moving your caching right. to Redis. Um, Sure. It's like a good approach and moving. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm already using Redis in uh, the production servers just for other benefits. Um, and that is what we ended up doing when we deployed the Heroku app is we just set that up with Redis and boom, away everything went. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just looking for a, uh, a nice, neat end-to-end answer. Like I would love if there was some kind of a, and there may well be, and I just don't know about it. I would love if there was kind of like a, a forged version of Docker where we're like, okay, or they're like, okay, you know, uh, ship us your Docker container and we'll take care of the rest in terms of mapping. Is there anything that comes close to that? Heroku. Heroku has, um, it's, they've been building it for a while and it just, I think right. it came available last year or maybe like a year and a half ago, but they have their own kind of registry where you can publish your Docker images and kind of have that pipeline where they build it for you and they deploy and they manage the load balancing. Um, but also, you know, there's, there is definitely a big change and I I'm saying Docker swarm and Docker cloud was a great way to get started that you just say, connect DigitalOcean, give me three clusters, this size, hit a button, boom. Yeah. yeah. They shut that down. Come on. So that's what I want. So what, what? it's it's weird to see. Um, it's almost like Why? Docker, the company, bit off a little more than they could chew, and I'm not sure if that's actually I the see. case. Um, but you know, they shut down um, Docker Cloud. Um, their the new version that came out this year of Docker for Mac or Docker CE, whatever they call it now, um, has Kubernetes built into it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see that they're realizing that Kubernetes is kind of taking over and, right. um, Kubernetes was, was built off of Google's itch, right? They were like this, getting this into production sucks. So how do we kind of build a tool that'll do a lot of this for us? Um, so it's kind of Kubernetes is, seems to be the clear way to go and it's kind of, everyone's moving that way. Um, but then again, it's, it's really just a wrapper, just like Docker is a wrapper um, around Linux containers and Kubernetes is a wrapper around Docker. So they're kind of all abstractions. So, you, But you're saying that AWS has facilities for doing this stuff, just the nomenclature and, and uh, some of it. And this is nothing new with AWS <laughs> services, uh, but just that it's a little bit muddy. Yeah. So the Elastic Container Service and they have the Elastic Container Registry. Um, all these mm-hmm. names drive me bonkers. Um, yep. But they've they've got a really good process. And what we do is is for us is when we're ready to um, ready to deploy or swap out our services, if you will, we tag our image latest on the Jenkins server when the builds pass, uh, and then we push that to. Um, to the ECS, we run a command that's like ECS force deployment, something like that, where it says, okay, you define your task, which is your quote unquote cluster of services. You want three versions of, let's just say Nginx running uh, and, and load balanced, right? Um, so you say, okay, 
this this new image has has passed and it's good. This is what I want to promote to production. So then um, you run a command, an AWS CLI command that says, uh, don't remember off the top of my head, um, but it says, okay, make two more versions of these. And when there's no more traffic going to the other two that are old, if you're running four, right, then we'll swap mm-hmm. them out. So then there'll be two. So for a minute, there'll be four services or four containers running. And then once the traffic goes to the other ones, it kind of just lets those disappear. Yeah. Um, so the long and the short of it is that they have services that will take your container image and kind of handle the rest of the magic for you. Right? Absolutely. Yep. They, they'll handle yeah. the load balancing and turning off and pulling down the latest. And um, they even have a so, yeah. EKS, I think. is So they have Elastic Kubernetes service, right? Everything's oh, elastic. Um, See, I, I, here, I, I kind of feel for like some people who are listening, you know, maybe they're like they're freelancers, you know? And it, it almost sounds like the full development to production aspect of this seems like a full-time job for several people um, in terms of, you know, if you're, if you're doing this inside of a company that has the staffing to do it, um, then it very well may make sense. Um, even if you work at an agency with a number of people that, you know, do graphic design and development, you may or may not have the staffing to do this. Is, is that is that fair to say that you really do kind of need um, a little bit of, of staffing to do this? Or, or do you think that your average uh, freelancer or small agency could realistically scale this up and do it end to end? I think a lot of that is going to be on the tools they use, like which right. provider, right? And that's, that's kind of like a cop out. But, um, you know, it's it depends. It's the one time you get the build process working on your infrastructure for your pipeline. Right then you're set. Then you celebrate because you just replicate it everywhere right. else. Right? So yeah. um, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, it might not be the best part for, you know, or best solution for a smaller company an agency style work right. an organization. I mean, we don't have people that manage. Um, we don't have, I mean, we have a DevOps guy, but we don't really have like, on our side of the company, we don't have like a DevOps group. Um, mm-hmm. So our engineers have to understand our infrastructure, right? So they have to sure. be a little bit responsible about that. I, I think it makes for a really well-rounded developer that makes a really, really, you know, that quote unquote unicorn of full stack. Um, <laughs> so full stack, <laughs> first, uh, this, this is like triggers me. It's like the one word that triggers me. I'm, I'm with you. Full stack is BS. Okay. It just, it means nothing. Yeah. We were having that discussion the other day. It's like, you know, full stack means you're mediocre at everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or full stack is just, you're, you're basically lying on your resume. <laughs> I mean, you know, because whatever I, I do, I do tons of DevOps. I do uh, backend development. I do front end development. I do all this kind of stuff. And I would never say that I'm full stack. I think it means nothing. That means you're um, doing well at buzzword bingo. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it, I don't know. It just irritates me. A- anyway, I'm gonna, I want to uh, ask, you know, uh, and I'll, I guess I'll start with Patrick. Um, uh, Patrick, what do you think of this whole thing? Are you um, interested in Docker and what parts of it do you think that you might uh, might bite off and, and kind of start chewing on? Yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting. And I mean, I can almost see myself using some of it for local development. 
My my issue is I think it would be hard being in client services to then make the full push into using a production. So many times, sometimes we're able to dictate what the end host or um, hosting mm-hmm. setup will be, but a lot of times we don't. Um, you know, for there may be legacy <laughs> hosting, and it, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Patrick. I just thought of. Can you imagine you get a client that's on GoDaddy shared hosting. <laughs> I have a client right and now they, that is on HostGator, and which is basically the same thing. And, they, and yeah, we're talking. About, and they, yeah. and you, you're going to try to deploy your Docker containers <laughs> to HostGator. Yeah, and, and and I mean, yeah. Well, if someone is up on Docker and is ready to go, it's great for um, them. It, I think it also, yeah. you know, there's a concern that with any new technology that. It, it then means that there's a, a small subset of developers that would be ready to stand up a their own local Docker instance and get up and going. Um, right. I mean, Lindsay, I guess, is now ready to go, but you know, that's one. Right. <laughs> I think you could just use yeah, the new I mean, Elastic HostGator service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Elastic HostGator. EHG. Um, I like it. Jonathan, what do you what do you think? I mean, you, you know, we're we're considering doing some. Uh, some stuff for new projects. I mean, do you think it's it's worth the investment to try and bite something off to get end-to-end Docker stuff going? So, yeah, I'm, I definitely see the benefits right off the bat for local development. And I'm already sort of going that way, um, like away from the homestead um, for local mm-hmm. development, more towards the Docker uh, containerized services for that. But I'm like you in the sense that if I do it that way, I really want to make it work end to end. Like I, I don't want to sort mm-hmm. of do like a patchwork of different um, different uh, ways to do development. If I do it locally, I would love to have it um, running uh, in production the same way. I think sometimes it comes down too to like, do you even really like? Does this benefit your client um, to do this? Do you have the budget to support it? Are you going to be pulling right. your hair out when when you can't like? You know, you're just trying to do something simple. It'd be super easy to do on Forge, but you're like literally about to throw your computer out the window because uh, you're trying to do it. <laughs> you know, does, does it make sense? I would love to try it. I'm not going to say that. You know, I'm not going to attempt it uh, with this with this project coming up. But uh, maybe but I'll we, call we Jason decide- crying one night and get into a. <laughs> Jonathan, if we do decide to do it for this project, I, first of all, I know that I'm gonna, I would be tasked to do a lot of this. I'm gonna buy like a Nerf helmet so that when I don't damage my monitor when I'm yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I have sort of like a practical question. I don't know how much time we have left, but go um, go, go, go. so Jason, what would you tell somebody who's listening to this and they say, you know what, this this sounds great. I love the idea of playing with Docker. I kind of want to see what it's all about. Where do I even begin? Because I, I, I mean, something like this is so complicated. There's so many resources online. I mean, w- would you say like go to the Docker? Would you just like read the docs, or is it like trying to read the Webpack docs where you're like, ah, forget it? I mean, what 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 resource would you tell someone who is like completely new to all of this, and but they want to try it? Where would you where would you point them as like a starting point? That's a really good question. So I would actually recommend a few things. Um, the best course, hands down is the one by Brett Fisher. Uh, he's local to Hampton Roads. It's on Udemy. It's a Docker mastery course. Um, as typical Udemy fashion, it's on sale. So you better hurry. You have five hours left. Um, <laughs> everything's always on sale. <laughs> um, but it's it's like 12 bucks. It's fantastic. It is such a good resource because what he, he will do is he will take you through the whole process of what is Docker, installing it, setting it up, you know, make, doing the Docker run commands, explains the whole thing. And then he talks about getting into production. 
right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but he does it in a really slow, steady, well thought out fashion um, that I think is is a really good starting point. Um, it's you know we go back to this, just start local. You know, don't don't get right. crazy and like instant to prod because I'm going to challenge your belief now, Andrew. Do it. I'm going to say, do it. Is it really the fact that you want to have Docker in production, or do you just want to be able to get push and then be done with it? Um, it's really my OCD. And I, every time I say that people complain that I'm making fun of a real, (laughs) a real disease or whatever, but no, I mean, really, it it just kind of feels to me that if, if the point of doing this is that I can spin up specific versions that I'm going to want the same thing in my local dev that I have in my uh, production server. And I don't want there to be surprises when I, Uh, let's say that I keep it for local dev and then I push it into the production forge server. You know, I don't want there to be surprises in it not working because the environment is different. Um, But I think you're right that ultimately all that I really want in the end is that when I push to the right branch, it deploys and it works. Yeah, no one one wants to do server troubleshooting. Yeah, Uh, and I do do that quite a bit and that makes me not want to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you've been there and done that, you do everything you can to avoid having to do it, you know? And I, I, I guess from my perspective, I just wish that there was some kind of a a really nice Forge-ish service. And by saying Forge-ish, what I mean is that something that handles a lot of this stuff for you, um, but also exposes the, uh, the guts of it should you need to want to change it around and, and do stuff with it. But actually, Patrick made a really good point that I didn't even think of that, you know, we don't always have control over where this stuff is going to be deployed. Um, It's all well and good if you uh, work at a company and you can make decisions about where your infrastructure is going to be. But I would hate to have to start, you know, turning down clients because I have to say, you know, oh, well, you're not using AWS's ECS. We can't work with you. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that that seems like it would be difficult conversation to have. On the other hand, I think that Docker and maybe not even Docker specifically, but the concept of containerizing these services is 100% the direction that things are going in. And I think as a marketable skill uh, for you to be valuable coming into a a lot of teams, um, I think having this skill would be super important. So, you know, kind of getting your feet wet, um, doing it in local development probably is a good idea. But I want to give uh, Marion also a chance to uh, to chime in and, and, and voice her thoughts on all of this. Well, it sounds like one of the advantages is that when you do throw your computer out the window, it will be easy to get set up again on a new one. Right. Um, yeah, I'm encouraged to give it another try and see if I can get it working for local development. Um, mm-hmm. my, the degree of control I have about where things are deployed to production is, is so small that, uh, I'm just willing to completely let that idea go. Although it is, it is very, it's a nice tidy idea that you just have this one thing and it would work everywhere. Right. Yeah. Everyone has to have dreams, Marion. Uh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> uh, Jalen, what about you? You've been sitting in here uh, listening to all this, do you, do you think that it might make sense for you to start by swapping out some of the services that you're installing uh, via Brew and, and start using uh, Docker for that? 
Yeah, I was, I was really excited to hear Jason talking about that. It definitely sounds like an interesting approach. Uh, probably something I'll try out in the future. And then, you know, if, if it seems to work well, maybe eventually switch over to like full-blown Docker, even all the way up through production. Uh, there was one kind of question I wanted to ask is, you know, real end of this. Um, and it's something I've always struggled with, with Docker. Um, I kind of came from the Vagrant world or Homestead, you know, where you've got like all the different... All, all the different parts you need to run your website, you know, on one VM. And then you, you switch to Docker and everybody's talking about containerizing things. And so you've got, you know, PHP in one container, Nginx, another one. I'd, I'd like to have uh, Jason maybe answer why exactly you would want to containerize stuff. So I think um, what makes it really helpful to think about is um, in PHP, let's just, let's just level set for a second. PHP is a little bit of a different beast. Um, if you've written any kind of go or .net and to go back to something we talked about earlier, .net ships with the Docker file. Um, so, but if you go to PHP, um, it's a little bit different because we need that web server, right? And then we need mm -hmm. PHP to be running. So we actually have two processes, two services that need to run. They need to be able to talk to each other. So, um, a good example is let's say you have uh, an application we're talking about production. This is fantasy land right now. Uh, where you have your Apache container that's sitting in front of a load balancer. And when that comes in, you're getting a lot of traffic, but your Apache container is kind of just a pass-through, right? It's just sending data to, or PHP requests to PHP. Um, right. Then you could, you could behind the scenes say, well, I actually need 16 replicas of PHP. Let's say we're using, let's backtrack actually, Nginx and PHP FPM. Um, I actually need... 16 PHP FPM services running and just load balance between those two because I the the Nginx container is handling traffic fine, but the the PHP part was doing a lot of the work. Um, this is a great example for a queue, right? If you're running Laravel, you say PHP artisan queue listen, um, and you put that in a container. So you have Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, and you can scale those out by themselves and they'll automatically handle traffic. So um, does that kind of make sense or kind of answer your question? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense thinking about it from the uh, scaling point of view. Yeah. All right. So I, I do have a question for you, Jason, how dumb is it for me? So a lot of the, I still use, um, Homestead for my local development, uh, because I, I do find myself doing a, a decent bit of DevOpsy stuff. Um, that yes, that could go away if I end up getting uh, Docker working end to end, uh, but it doesn't look like that's going to be uh, an immediate thing. Um, how dumb would it and how dumb would it be to run Docker inside of my Vagrant VM? Um, well, it's not actually dumb because um, containers are really only supported on Linux, and mm -hmm. um, when you when Docker for Mac first came out, you had to install VirtualBox and do this Docker bridge and or Docker machine command runs yep. crazy nonsense. Uh, but what a lot of people don't realize is that Mac doesn't have native container support. So right. what Docker is actually doing is installing a virtual machine in the background just to make it very simple. So when mm -hmm. you're using the Docker command and, and Docker run, you're actually talking to a virtual machine that is running. So it's actually not a dumb idea. That's exactly what Docker for Mac does. Uh, I wanted you to tell me how stupid it was. <laughs> anyway, keep going. No, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it does the same thing for Windows, right? The idea is to be able to right. ship and have one 
you know, one interface. It's like, uh, I always, always sure. compare it to the caching library and, um, or the facade in Laravel, super powerful, but it does not care if you have Redis or memcached, or I think there's a Mongo driver, um, or maybe that's just for the queue, but it doesn't care. It's the same layers. Docker run does not care where it talks to. You can actually have your local machine connected to a Docker machine in DigitalOcean. Um, so you can actually be running those commands locally on your terminal, but they're actually executing in DigitalOcean. Yeah, so here's my reasoning. And that, <laughs> believe it or not, like long before we uh, decided to talk to you, this was kind of the route that I was considering going down. And the reasoning was that um, I still do want to have an actual local uh, Linux server because I still do quite a, a number of things from a DevOpsy point of view that I want to be able to do them locally. Uh, and I want to be able to make it so that if everything goes to hell, you know, there's no implications involved. Right. And I said, all right, if I'm going to keep this around for that reason, um, maybe I can still get the benefits of using Docker containers by running them inside of uh, that Vagrant VM. But that was sort of predicated on the idea of using that the Docker, com uh, the Docker compose file throughout the, the whole uh, kind of development, uh, testing, staging, production phase. You know what I mean? Like I was kind of seeing Docker's real benefit to me then would be um, the fact that I can use it with other people, they can get up and running quickly. Um, the fact that I could pick uh, specific versions of things very easily for on a per project uh, basis. And then the other real benefit I, I thought um, was that I could deploy this all the way to production and then I've got the, the matched environment all the way through. Um, but do you think that uh, it's a reasonable course of action for me to start using Docker um, inside of Vagrant, uh, just to kind of get some of the some of the benefits out of it. I, I think if you're going to use it in a virtual machine, you might as well just use Docker for Mac, or you know, I think okay. that makes the most sense because you're almost doing the same thing but with a lot less work. Um, because right. then you have to figure out your networking and you know routing and stuff like that. And Docker for Mac will mm -hmm. solve all of that for you. So it'll make it easier to get that stuff set up. I mean, the the unfortunate thing from my uh, perspective is that I'm probably going to be running both then <laughs> because I don't know what, what would a, another good way of having a, a Linux VM around for me to experiment with be. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, there's, how would I, how would I put this? If you run a Docker, uh, run and say Ubuntu, and then you do dash mm -hmm. it and you get in the terminal, um, you're essentially in a Ubuntu and Ubuntu, a Ubuntu. I don't know which one's the right one. Um, you're in an image, a container that is actually Linux. So you can do the U name and you'll see that, well, it's actually Ubuntu. Um, mm -hmm. so if you want to like Docker's great for just trying something out, like I want to try to configure a Apache and I want to try this new mod that came out, um, whatever it is, okay. then you can just say, um, you can either build a whole Vagrant machine or you can say, well, mm -hmm. Docker run Ubuntu and I'm going to install some stuff and then just stay in your container. And then if you pass the dash dash RM, the second you exit that container, your, your, your container's gone, right? So you don't have to right. like wipe the image and start over again. Um, it's just, it takes care of it for you. So if you, so I could, so I could make a Docker container 
called Playground that has the specific Ubuntu that I want. And then I can just uh, spin it up and SSH in and do my evilness. Yeah, you can you can do anything. I think you have to install a lot of stuff, obviously, because they they strip some stuff um, out of there. But you could definitely run like I want to try, um, you know, GCC or you know I want to try this version of Go, um, which is where you go back to the whole Docker file. What you can do is run do Docker run uh, exec into it, which is kind of like SSH, and then run your commands. Mm-hmm but then take those commands and put them in a Docker file. So like if you wanted to run a task over and over and over again um, to do something like a ETL, you know, extract, transform, load some files, um, you could do that in a Docker container without messing up a virtual machine or your machine. And then you can actually codify those by putting them in a Docker file, grab this file from here and do these steps and do these things. And you have a repeatable build process. So I have a question Sorry, I have a question about something you just said. So you're talking about like using the exec command. So like if you're using something like Laradoc, I guess they have a container called Workspace, and then you have like that. Then you have access to like Yarn and Composer and all that. So you would do exec Workspace Bash to get a shell. What are you actually doing when you do that? Because I mean, I know you're not actually SSHing into like another machine, but you're kind of SSHing in. I mean, you're well. You're actually. I don't know if it's. I think it's technically is SSH or SSHing okay. into that container. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think I think that's actually how it's functioning. But I, I guess so. Let's say that I do take this slow and I take it piecemeal and I continue to use Forge um, to provision the production servers initially. Um, but I want a local server to play around with that mirrors it. Is there a way to get the full Monty where I can get like Ubuntu 18.04? Yeah, you you can pull any version of Ubuntu they have published. If you go to the Docker Hub or the Docker Store, they're in a weird transition right now. I'm not sure where they're going to stick. But you can go to the the Docker Store and you can see that, you know, which which versions of which are, you know, what what they're tagged. And um, what's really nice about that is if you dig deep enough, they don't really put a really good link to it. I haven't checked the store in a while, but you can actually go see where they define their Docker file, right? On GitHub. Mm-hmm. And you can walk through the steps. What are they doing? So you can actually right. look at that and say, Oh, they're installing this, but I don't need that. Right. We can get rid of that. So, um, so I think since, uh, Ubuntu is based off of Debian, I think they actually extend, um, Oh, neat. Yeah. That's really cool. They're they're doing it that way too. That's really neat. So it's kind of like you. Like that's where you get your scratch container, right? Where it does absolutely nothing. Right. So Go is really cool because if you wanted to, you know, it has a built-in web server. So if you wanted to just run a single binary that was a Go piece that exposed would listen on a port, um, you can say from scratch, and then it'll copy that binary in there, and it'll just run that binary. You'll have nothing else inside of it. So, however big your binary is, is how big your container would be. That's neat. That's really neat. Oh, Jason, I think you have given me a monster rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm—I've been—I really have kind of been uh, flirting with this for a long time. So I'm really excited to have you on and uh, to get some uh, information out of you and. And hopefully we have uh, given people a, a nice uh, overview of all this. And I, I think one of the most interesting things that you said to me is that one of the main reasons why you're using Docker is 
you've administered servers for a very long time and you just don't want to have to do it anymore. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. We would love to see that up there. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmodefm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the Devmode FM podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Jalen Davenport. I'm Jonathan Melville. I'm Marion Newlevent. And I'm Patrick Harrington. And thank you, Jason, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I think that went pretty well. Jason, that was awesome. I really appreciate that uh, we were able to kind of pump you for some No, it's great. I enjoyed talking to you guys.